tonight we are so blessed that his wife and one of the pastors of Covenant Evangelical Free Church and one of the plenary speakers of IDMC conferences is with us, Pastor Ann Chan. Once again, shall we give her a warm welcome again. Hello. It's me again. I'm so sorry for those of you who have heard me the third time. But I promise to be nice. Oops. This evening, I'd like to speak to us about courage. I don't know about you, but I'm not a person who is courageous. I used to be very timid. Trust me, believe me. I speak the truth. I, I, I was from a dysfunctional family. My father passed away when I was 12 years old. My mother has to keep about three jobs to get the rest of us going, living, and surviving. And so we children are left on our own to fend for ourselves. But yet, on top of this, my grandma was always in grief and she would cry the whole day and she would whine and she would, uh, you know, complain. And my mom was in many jobs, but later she developed a bipolar um, uh, difficulties. And so we have two women in our house. One is half crazy and one is almost gone. I mean, now I can laugh over it and you can laugh over it. But those of you who live with mental disorder, uh, patient in a home, you know it's no laughing matter. So I grew up as a dysfunctional child because we don't get any attention at home. The only attention we probably get at home is when our, our mother spank us and cane us and yell at us and we would be scrambling away and running far away from him and shutting the door behind us. And those were my early memories. So I came from a very dysfunctional home and I was always insecure because we cannot anticipate my mum's next flare-up, you know, or next outburst. And we are always cringing and trying our best to just tiptoe around her so that she will not be angry. So I, for one, I'm not a courageous person. I'm also not a strong person. I was very weak. I was very timid and I couldn't even look people in the eye. You see, the story continues as a parable of my life because God took me from where I was and he kind of cleaned me up and he dusts all the dust off me and he remake me into someone new. Praise Jesus. So today when I share with you the sermon on courage, I, for more than any of you, would need this sermon, this reminder. But many of you can identify with people who are weak, people who are timid, people who are insecure, people with no confidence. I used to be so frightened of people who are loud, you know, the moment they enter the door, you, oh, you can hear their loudness, you know, and 
their thunderous voice and sometimes you know they're, they're boasting and sometimes the, the way they talk down on people and I'm not I'm so not used to it but along the way when I grow up and I grow out of it I learn to mature I learn to accept people of all shapes and sizes trust me it is a long journey so we do have our past. We do have certain scars in our lives. We do have certain past. And I'm sure if you tell me your story, I will believe that it is so much like God who will take us from where we were and put us on a level plane that he may give us the courage to live on. But having said that, for most of us common and normal people, Life goes on, isn't it? Not without its troubles. Because John 16.33 says, Jesus says this, In this world, you will have trouble. But be of great courage because I have overcome the world. So today, as we go into this text, we understand that there's life's difficult journey of many troubles. But today we also want to learn from Gideon what it means to live with courage. See, let me give you a little background about Judges chapter 6 and Judges chapter 7. Please turn to that in your Bible, Judges 6 and 7. Today we will endeavor to do two chapters. I don't know if this is my water, but praise the Lord. Water for a dry speaker. I'm glad you laugh. It means we are friends already. <laughs> Pastor Mel, you are friends with them, right? Good. You see, when Judges opens in chapter 6 and 7, the children of Israel have actually gone through seven years of oppression. Seven years where the enemies, the Midianites, were terrifying the land. They captured all the women and the children. They put them in jail. They tortured the men. They took all their livelihood and their livestock and the wheat and whatever food they have. And they grazed the entire village and they burned down the houses and, and all the atrocities was done during the seven years. And when the book opens for us in Judges 6, the people of, the, of Israel were hiding in caves. They were hiding in, in forests, in the wilderness, so that the enemies will not get to them. And they were hiding away from these people. You see, the Midianites, they are a terrified and a ferocious people, very cruel. They're very mean. And as a result, they go through everything to get what they want, and they torture the people. And so there was great devastation in the land. A land that used to live on, on the below poverty, line, below poverty line, now is further impoverished because of the great slaughter. And so in fear and timidity, everybody hid themselves. So when God opens up chapter, chapter 6, the people were asking, God, why is it that you have allowed something like this to happen to us? Why is that you allow the, the enemies to triumph over us? Why is this? God, why? 
And the many voices and the many cries that reaches out to God, they are asking God, why, why, why? Without realizing in chapter 6 verse 1, where it opens for us, God punished the people because of two things. They have gone astray, they have been rebellion, and they have been idolatrous. They have worshipped other gods and they have called other gods their father, their gods. And they have turned their back away from Yahweh. And God allows the enemies to punish his own people because of the great departure from the Most High God. So on the eighth year, where the, where the, the curtain opens for us in chapter 6, Gideon was found threshing his wheat in a wine press at the back of his house. And lo and behold, he was trembling with fear. There was great intimidation everywhere and he was a broken man because he's frightened that whatever little food that he has will be taken away and will be robbed. So when we find him, this is what the angel of the Lord said to him in Judges chapter 6, verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And this is such a mockery. If we understood the times and understood the background, it is a mockery because he is far from being courageous. He is far from being valiant. In fact, he is a chicken. You know, if I were the, the angel of the Lord, I would say, Tana, there you are, you chicken, you know. <laughs> Why? Because the wheat is supposed to be trashed on the field where the wind will come and blow the husk down, will blow the husk away and the grain will fall to the basket and they will carry the wheat and off they go and they will eat their food and live happily ever after. But this wasn't the, the case. He was threshing his wheat in the wine press at the back of his door where there is no wind, where it is hidden from anyone. So the words of the, the angel of the Lord seems very surprising. It's an irony, isn't it? When you are chicken and people say you mighty man of valor, you think, ah, you're, you're trying what? You're trying to, you know, make fun of me, make joke out of me, and so on. Until we realize the four lessons we can learn about courage from these two chapters. Number one, the courage to believe. Can you turn to your neighbor and tell him you must have the courage to believe God? And then you say back to the person who talked to you, you say, you too. Far from being a valiant man, Gideon was threshing his wheat in the wine press. And then the burning question within Gideon is the same burning question within the hearts of the many people, many Israelites. And the burning question is in verse 13. Why are there so many thing, bad things happening? And God, why have you abandoned us? Verse 14. God, you have brought us out of Egypt. And now you're leaving us to die and suffer here. And sometimes in our lives, we are like that, isn't it? We cannot see beyond the problems we have. 
We cannot see beyond all the inconsistency in our lives. There seems to be no solution to the current problem we are facing, whether it is a job search or whether it's a bad relationship or whether it's money issues or whatever issues they are. Sometimes we just cannot find, cannot accept and cannot understand what we are going through. And the same it is with Gideon. And yet when God pronounced him as a valiant warrior, when the angel of the Lord spoke to him, God meant every word. God is not mocking him. God meant it. You see, in Gideon's heart, he realized he's a nobody. He's a no, nobody. He's scared. He's timid. He's, he's a nobody. And he's, of course, he's from the weakest of the tribe. And he's the least in the family. And so on and so forth. But yet God recognized that in Gideon's heart, there is a holy indignation. There is a fire that is burning. There is this dissatisfaction with the status quo. There is this great holy unction that says, it cannot go on like that. It should not be like that. God, would you do something about the cries of your people? And so God knows Gideon. God understood his heart. And therefore, God foresee that in this life, this man with fire, this man with passion, he is to flame the fire. And this man will arise and be the leader he's supposed to be. And so when the angel of the Lord came and pronounced, here you are, you're a man, a mighty man of valor. What does it take? It takes belief. To believe when you cannot see. To believe in yourself when you yourself cannot see any good from us. But God could. And God sees past our failure. God uh, expects failure from us. He uses the failures and He changes through the failures. He transforms us through our failures. And of course, at every point of turning, immense failing, there's always God who will meet us round the corner with His grace and forgiveness. And so God sees the heart, Gideon's heart, and He calls Gideon's out, Gideon out to recognize that there is a holy calling more than the fear God has given him the calling. And so He did that. He says, go in your strength to deliver Israel. Go in your strength to deliver Israel. You see, God cannot use us until and unless we can see that we are usable. That we believe that in God, we, in, in self we cannot, but in God we can. But yet, we must, there must be something within us that God can use, isn't it? There must, we must be a usable material. You cannot say, I cannot do anything, I cannot do anything. And the whole day, you complain, you cannot do anything, you cannot do anything. And then, of course, nobody will use you because you cannot do anything. But if you say, I cannot do anything, but in God, I can do something. And that's where God starts His work of transformation. His work of helping you see who you can be rather than your, your, your prime, primary states of what you can't be. So Gideon's holy indignation says, it cannot go on like this. My people cannot be 
constantly being repressed, oppressed like this. This cannot go on. God, would you please do something? God, would you please use me? God, would you do something about it? And so God is able to see Gideon much more than he could see himself. You know, this is so much like God, isn't it? He's able to see beyond the facade of timidity and see courage. He's able to see beyond our sins and be able to see a man and a woman of God after his own heart. And this is the first thing you and I need, the courage to believe. The courage to believe that it is a strange pronouncement that God gave to Gideon. And yet, when God called him, he was greatly intimidated and he was a broken man. And yet in our brokenness, God will take all our broken pieces and he will melt us down and remake us into some new vessels fit for the master's use. Self-belief is important. To believe that in God we can. In, to believe that there is something that God has already deposited in our lives to enable us to take a step of faith, a step of courage. And therefore, hope against hope. This is what God is saying. Never call hopeless if God has not said it is hopeless. Can I repeat myself? Never say it is hopeless until God has said it is hopeless. Because for the longest time, some of us live in discouragement for the longest time. We don't believe in self, we don't believe in others, we don't trust self, we don't trust others. But today God is saying to us, you must have the courage to believe. To believe God, to believe God's promises, to believe the possibilities in God. My life in my own hand is a pain and a problem. But my life in God's hand is a promise and a possibility. And that's why you and I must live our lives and hand over to God the full reins of our life and allow Him to take control. That's the first thing. Courage to believe. You see, when God allowed Gideon to take, take over, He allowed Gideon to go through seven years of oppression. And finally, in, in the, the fullness of his great holy indignation, God found him and he was ready for God to use him, for God to use him. And just like Gideon, you and I must believe and believe that in us, through us, through God, we can make it and we can be more than conquerors. So first of all, we need to have the courage to believe. Courage to believe self, courage to believe God. The second important lesson we learn from Gideon is courage to act. Now, it's no point just believing and don't do anything about it, isn't it? It wouldn't make a difference. Courage to act, you see, God gave Gideon a small assignment to prepare him for the bigger assignment of delivering the children of Israel. And so he asked Gideon to do something quite outrageous. He says in chapter 6, verse 25, Take your father's bull, a seven-year bull, 
and pull down your father's idols. Apparently, the father is like the big Indian chief that house all the idols in his house. All right, so take a seven-year bull and pull down your father's altar, and in replace of that old idol, idol worship, you restate the worship of God and build an altar and worship God. And on top of that, you sacrifice your offering in the right way. And so Gideon was asked to do this assignment. Did he obey God? What do you think? Yes or no? Yes, he did. But he was so scared. So he did it by night. But in the morning, the CIA found out he did it. And everybody know that Gideon, Gideon did it. Okay, so they marched to his house, which the idols have been destroyed, and they wanted to crucify him. They wanted to kill him, and they wanted to slaughter him. How dare you do something to, to our gods and all that? And it, it was when Joash came to his defense and said, Look, people, if my son dare to do something like this, huh? Never mind, okay? You people stay calm. Just let, that God, just let our God strike him dead, all right? We don't even need to do anything about it. Ah, but if he did the right thing, we better be careful, all right? And so Joash was able to appease the people and say, don't do anything rash. For all you know, my son could be right, you know? Nobody will go bonkers like that and do something outrageous, right? You and I won't do something. So the father defended him and lo and behold, nothing happened to Gideon and everybody started to tremble. Because now, after seven years of not hearing God, of not seeing God's work, finally, the altar of God was erected and everybody came and repented and brought sacrifices and then they institute all the sacrifices again and they worship God. You see, it is important for us to understand that faith without works is dead. You can say you love, but if you don't have actions of love, that is non-love. If you say you love your wife, you love your husband, you love your children, but day in and day out, you scream at them, you yell at them, and you even hammer, beat them up, and you, you hang around, lace around in the family, and you don't go to work, you let your wife bring in all the money, work hard, she come back and cook after the children and all that. That is not love, isn't it? Love must have action. If you say you love your husband, then you cook his favorite soup for him, right? I was half teasing this uh, couple. This couple came to me. They had this husband and wife quarrel. And pastor always have to be judged, right? So the wife would tell me what the husband did wrong. The husband would tell me what the wife did wrong and so on, you know. So she complained. She said, this guy is uh, so ungrateful. You know? I stay home the whole day, look after the kids. I, clap, I, I go to market. I send the kids to school. I cook, I wash and all that. You know? I prepare dinner for him. And then he came back home. And then he said, oh, the soup has got no salt. Then I tell him, look, go to the kitchen and take some salt and put inside. 
Maybe I forgotten to put some soup, some salt. You stir, 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 you'll be nice already. Then the husband said, What stupid cook cook without salt? You know? I said, What stupid cook cook without salt? And I said, Maybe your words could be a bit kinder, right? Maybe your wife have a hard day, a tough day, the baby is acting up, the, the child is going through a tantrum. You know, she has hundred and maybe a thousand and one things to do. And probably in her absent-mindedness, she, she thought she had already put some salt and she didn't melt. Maybe she thought that it's better not to put than to put double, right? And so on and so forth, you know. And then he said the the next bad thing. He says, my mother can cook better than you. A warning to all husbands. Uh. Don't ever say that line. You will start World War III. And she said in her fuming madness, I told him, then get your mother to come and cook. I'm not cooking for you anymore, you know. You see, when couples find the littlest things to argue and fight over, it is no end, isn't it? And sometimes for us, when we pick on little things, we nitpick on little things, we lose that big picture. And sometimes when we pick on the little things, we forget to see how God works in our lives. And God is saying to us, you must have courage not just to believe me, but courage to act upon what you know and what you're asked to do. And then your life will follow. So faith requires action. Courage requires action as well. One simple act of obedience goes a long way in the single direction as we direct our lives in the trajectory of life. The third, okay, before I go on. He obeyed despite the, 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 face, the fact that he was asked to do a dangerous thing to tear down Baal and Asherite worshippers. It was a small assignment to prepare him for the big assignment. And we need to go, obey God in acts of faith and courage. And sometimes God asks us seemingly to do very difficult things, like asking for forgiveness from your children or, or making the, the right, right the wrongs in our lives. Number three, courage to change. Probably this is the hardest. Courage to believe, courage to act, and courage to change. You see, after the big assignment, God asked Gideon to raise an army. Now, to defeat a strong army, you need to have another strong army, isn't it? To be able to match the ferocity, the strength, the size, the strategy, everything. So in Judges chapter 7, verse 2 to 4, God gave the strategy, and that is to, to be able to send messages throughout the nation and say, we are fighting against the Midianites. We are raising an army. Those of you who wants to join the army, please sign up, you know. Your, your poster will go everywhere. Those were days, there's no email, no chat group. So I don't know how they do it, you know. It must be miraculous to be able to do on foot, and via donkey or horses or what have you, throughout the nation they proclaim. And it probably takes like maybe six months or more than that to garner an army of 32,000 people. 32,000. 
So we have an army of 32,000 volunteers. But God told Gideon, this army is too big. I need you to downsize. Huh? Downsize? God, I, I hear correctly or not. Yeah, downsize. So he downsized to 22,000. So he said, those of you with old family, young children, okay, you go back. We don't need you. All right? Just in case you die in the war, I cannot return a, a son to your mother. So you go back. All right? So from 32,000, is downsized to 22,000. And then God told Gideon further. He says, no, still too big. I want you to downsize your, your army. And so he downsized to 10,000. And then finally, God told him, again, it's too big an army. I want you to further downsize. And so Gideon thought of a way. He led them, this, this 10,000 men, to a river and watch how they drink water. And those who, who have an, a weapon in one hand and lap the water with another, ah, these are the soldiers he won because they are in a posture of readiness. They are ever ready, you know. They will not let go just because they are thirsty. You know, they are always prepared. So from 32,000 to 22,000 to 10,000 and finally to 300 men. Now, believe me, it is only 0.94% of the original size. If you are the captain and you're leading an army against a ferocious enemy, would, would more people be better or less people? More, right? The more you feel you're, you, you become more brave and, you know, there's always uh, um, uh, the morale in, in numbers. But yet, although Gideon was puzzled, but he was willing to obey. He had no idea why God is doing it, but he obeyed. And so in the long run, there's only 300 men left. And this is the army of Gideon. The 300 men belongs to Gideon's command. They will obey everything. They are, like, they are like the Gideon's commandos who will do everything. They can swim, they can dive, they can fly, they can do all kinds of somersault and they'll be willing to just be, be, be dead the next moment. So these are the cream of the crop, 0.93%. 0.94%. But God has his reasons. And God's reason is this. He says, so that when you have victory, you will not say that you have done it. Got it? So that when there's victory, you will not boast that you have done it, but that the Lord has done it on our behalf. And this is the reason that God gave to Gideon so that you will know the power of deliverance, that the Most High God have wrath for you, that you have not done it yourself, that God delivered the army, the enemies, because you are humble enough, you are broken enough to be used by me. You see, sometimes life is isn't like, it's like that, isn't it? That we are asked to be vulnerable. And sometimes the greatest battle is won when we are most weak, not when we are most strong. And this is where Gideon learned the greatest lesson. It is utter dependence on God. 
not on our resources, not on how many men I have, not on how much money I have, but upon God and God only. This is so interesting. It's not 1.3%, it's actually 0.94%. You see, this went against any military strategy and logic. And Gideon was obedient enough to change his strategy because God's reason is that so that everyone would know that the Lord did it, not your big army. So just like Gideon, we need to hear God and be willing to change when he speaks to us. We can only do so when we walk with God. Lesson number four, courage to finish. So let's, let's recap. Courage to believe. Courage to act, courage to change, and courage to finish. It is so easy to start well, but not easy to finish well. In Judges 7, 9 to 10, God asked Gideon, go down. Go down to the enemy's camp, because I have already given you the victory. And if you are afraid, you bring your servant Pura and go with him. And so as they were in the enemy's camp, he overheard a conversation between two soldiers. The first soldier told the second one, you know, last night I had a dream. I dreamt of these big barley loaves just rolling down all our camps and crushing us, you know. Wow, it was so scary as if it is real. And then the second soldier Midianite soldier replies, says, I know what is this. This barley loaf is the army of Gideon. He will come and he will trash us, he will crush us. And when Gideon heard the conversation between the two soldiers, his faith arose. There was a great stirring. And then he turned to his, his servant, you, see, you hear that? You hear that? Let's go, let's go back and, and come, bring the army and just crush them. And it's very interesting because how many men does Gideon have? 300. What is his strategy? 100 here, 100 there, 100 there. But the whole army camp is at least 10,000 people, if not more. So it is like, what? What nonsense are you talking about? But yet precisely, this is what God says, that when I have given you the victory, you will not boast that your army has done it. And it is so like God, isn't it, to ask us to do incredible things. Things that are really illogical and sometimes nonsensical. Sometimes it's beyond logic. But yet God has his own logic and his reason. That his reason is unlike us. God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man that he should repent. Has he said and shall he not do it? Has he spoken and shall he not make it good? This is what God is like. God is not like man that he should lie. He's not like man that he should repent. Has he said something and he will not do it? Have he spoken and shall he not make it good? This is God. So then when they went back to the camp and they sent off the 300 men and they surrounded the enemy's camp and, and so on, and, and what happened was that God sent a confusion blinded the eyes of the people and they were fighting among themselves. They were, they, were, they were crawling under their bed sheets and so on and so forth. And God turned the entire camp upside down and 
Gideon's army just go in and just kill and slaughter, and the rest is history. You see, courage to finish well. Many of us are good starters, but we are poor finishers. We start well with any initiative. We volunteer ourselves for this and that. Uh, we sign up for this course, we sign up for the course. And every time, when, when we first organized IDMC in Singapore, I first organized it, this is like 24, we have run 24 years of IDMC. So I was telling my team, I said, in any conference, there will always be a 10% no-show. Meaning people will even pay it up, but 10% of the people will not come. Either they forget or they're too tired or they don't want to go or something crop up or their work commitment or whatever. And if you have a conference with 10% no-show, it's a good conference already. Some conferences have 30% no-show. They buy the ticket but they don't show up. And worse, if it's a free conference, they sign up, they don't show up, it's no loss for them because they didn't pay. So we never give anything free, even though it's a free church. <laughs> People must commit their money and their dollars. So in other words, when we talk about these things, we realize that, hey, there, there was a time that we believed God. But then when unbelief sets in, that's where we begin to to waver. And sometimes when God asks us to do incredulous things, we say, God, are you for real? Are you for, for sure? You, you're joking with me, right? You know? You see, the reason why Queen Mary is being respected to this date, why is she so respected by all of Londoners, of all British citizens, is this. During the Second World War, when the bombs were coming down from the Allied forces into London, the people was asking the Queen to evacuate and run further to other palaces in the outskirts. And the Queen Mother says, no, I will refuse to run to safety where my citizens are in danger. So she stayed in London. And good thing they didn't bomb Buckingham Palace and she was saved. But ever since then, the respect for the queen grew many notches higher because she was able to stay there to face the danger with the commoner. And this is how we get respect. Not that we are doing great things, but that we are able to show courage when the opportunity calls for it. We need to believe God, the courage to believe. Sometimes the deepest times, the, the times that we, we go through, sometimes God seems to speak, but sometimes God seems to be silent. We need to believe that when we go through the deepest pain, God is not silent because He's doing His best work. That even in the silences, God is already doing His work. So we need to believe God's promise and trust even though we cannot see. We need to act. When God asks us to stir our hearts to act upon something we, are, we know we should obey, we need to obey instantly. Courage to change. Even though sometimes it goes against every grain of our logic. Trust God and do it. And the courage to believe. When things 
are tough going. This is where God's promise will flash out for us that we must continue to trust and not faint. In conclusion, let me say this to all of us. We are by nature cowards. You see, when Gideon did that, arise and finally face the last task, he utilized 300 men. But God is sometimes saying to us, whatever resources you have, surrender them to me. So at the end of the day, when you have accomplished and achieved certain work, you will not say that you have done it. But it is the Lord who did it through us, that we may persevere and reclaim what is lost so that God's name be honoured. You see, it is important for us to realise this, that courage is not just for the weak, but it is also for the strong. Because for the strong people who are strong and loud, we think we could do it apart from God. There's a, this sense of self-sufficiency. There's this sense false sense of self-importance. I can do it. I don't need the church. I don't need leaders. I don't need God. I don't need everything. There's a lot of self-made people on this earth. But it amounts to nothing. All the riches and all the accolades that we have today will be burnt up. So what if you are the richest man on earth? So what if you have the most beautiful person? So what? We will all die. One day our life is going to be packed in this little box and lowered to the ground. And nobody will remember our names anymore. Our children will use up our wealth. The second, third generation will not remember whose, what name their great-grandmother or great-grandfather is. Can you remember your great-grandfather's name? No? But he left you with the wealth or maybe with the debt, whatever it is. But nobody remembers our names anymore unless you write books. Huh? You know, like Pastor Mel, huh? you can start writing books. Then you can keep for the next five generations. But to the end, whatever achievements you and I have, it will amount to zilk, nothing. But what is done in God's name will stay on and on and on. Because God's work done in God's way. Never let God's resources because it will produce the God result that, that will last and last forever. And this is why we need courage to live, courage to act, courage to believe, courage to change, and courage to finish well. Shall we pray? Lord, we ask of you to give us courage, to lean upon the everlasting arms of God, to believe when we cannot see, to accept though we cannot understand. To trust you in faith though we cannot see the green lights. And Father, we pray in Jesus' mighty name that you take away all manner of timidity from us, all manner of the lack of self-confidence, the inner insecurities that you may help us see with your eyes, that our eyes may be opened to behold God and the possibilities in God because we live under God. This we ask, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. What an inspiring 
and very encouraging message uh, for all of us. I cannot help but agree with uh, Pastor Anne when she said that we are naturally fearful people because if you take a look at the scriptures, there are so many occasions and times that the Lord says, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. And praise God, the Lord has given us his word tonight and we are greatly blessed and encouraged. Amen? Praise the Lord. Let's give the Lord a big hand, please. And let's rise and let's close in prayer. It's been a long day, but a very fruitful day. So we thank God for what he has done. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and bless you for your goodness and love towards us. We thank you, O Lord, for this whole day, even the message that was shared to us. And Lord, what an encouragement this is. For many times we are timid. Many times we are fearful. Many times, Lord, we refuse to follow your call. But Lord, today, we pray that by your grace, by your spirit, we might obey and follow you, whatever it is you want us to do. Give us the courage to do it. Give us the faith, Lord, to do it. And Lord, we thank you once again for the opportunity to give our tithes, our grace gifts, and our offerings. Lord, use them for the glory of your holy name. And Lord, whatever has been achieved today, we give you back all the glory, all the praises and thanks. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen.